Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. So it is the seed, the racial seed of Abraham that these promises are given to. And they also say that the Jews today have no claim because number one, they are not the spiritual seed. And so when you get to the New Testament, it talks about the spiritual seed versus the carnal seed. And so you have that, for example, in Romans chapter nine, and it's talking about the fact that there are people who are in Israel, but they aren't of Israel. And it's because they don't have a relationship with God. Because when you come into a relationship with God, you run into his son, Jesus Christ, who's the Messiah, right? And so they don't have that yet. And so the promises, all the promises that God wants to give them, he can't give to them because they're not in right relationship with him. But again, what God's gonna do is turn that around. And then secondly, they say that they can't prove that they're the physical seed anyway. And you know that's, again, just nonsense. So, church is not Israel in the New Testament. There are distinctions that are made between the church and Israel. Did that get put up on the, yeah. You can can check out those verses. I don't really want to go, go into those. But all those verses are making a distinction between Gentiles and Israel. Israel is Israel, Gentiles are Gentiles. And then Israel and the church are contra- contrasted in the New Testament. Let's look at those. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 32, it says, give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks, that's the Gentiles, or to the church of God. Three groups there. There's the church of God, there's the Jews, and there's the Greeks. Another term for the Gentiles. And so there's a contrast between the church and Israel, the church and the Jews. You follow that? There's never an instance where they get confused Okay, then turn over to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And this is, a, this is a passage that just flat out teaches this stuff. And I'm just gonna go through and read it. I'll, I'll comment as we go through. I know I'm giving you a bunch of verses, but again, you, you guys need to know this stuff. It says, I say then, has God cast away his people? And what's the answer? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets, torn down your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But, when does the, but what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who've not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, it's no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare 
and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their backs always. And that's where Israel sits today. They're blinded and their backs are stooped over and they're having real problems. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? And what's the answer to that? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And so now God's bringing Gentiles in to make Jews jealous. I have seen this with Jewish people that I know. They're, they're weirded out by the fact that I love the Lord so much or the fact that my family loves the Lord so much. Goes on in verse 12 and says, now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness this is the idea of bringing the Jews back in. For I speak to you Gentiles, and inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are, who are my flesh and save some of them. For if they're being cast away, and they have been cast away because of the Mosaic law. For if they're being cast away is the reconciling of the world, and that's talking about the Gentile world, what would their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. So it's comparing Israel to an olive tree. And it says some of the branches have been broken out, off. Those are, the men, those are the people of Israel during the time of Paul the Apostle. Those branches have been broken off and you, being a bunch of wild olive branches, are grafted in. You're not the natural fruit of the original olive tree. That's Abraham and his descendants were grafted in through the blessing portion of the Abrahamic covenant. Um, he goes on, and, and says, verse 18, do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That's a little prideful attitude. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Don't be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. That puts them in their place, right? Us too. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. God is just absolutely fair. He doesn't have respect of persons. And so that's what he's speaking about there. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again to the natural tree, natural branches to the natural tree. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Talking about Abraham, the covenant, the nation of Israel, that whole thing. For I do not, do not, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. 
he will turn away in godliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so there's a period of time when, when God is reaching out to Gentiles, bringing Gentiles into a relationship with God, and that period of time has been going on for most of the church age, and we're still in that period of time, but there's going to come a time when the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. And then at that point, God is going to turn from the Gentiles, not completely, Gentiles still get saved, but he's going to turn from the Gentiles in the sense of them being the center of this whole salvation thing, and he's gonna turn right back to the Jews, and he's gonna bring them in. And that's what the tribulation period is about. That's why Israel in the end times is so important, because the end times events that you see all through the Old Testament and in the book of Revelation are specifically pointed at getting these people to turn around so that God can fulfill his promises to them. And again, so you have that. Israel's, again, going to be restored. When you look at verses 25 through 32, I already read a couple of those. Verse 28, it says, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And this is not in the context of the gifts that God gives to you. This is in the context of the gifts that God gives to Israel. And so God had, has made promises to these people. Those promises were based on his performance, not theirs. And those promises are irrevocable. And again, it has to do with land and nation and a blessing. It goes on and says, verse 30, for as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. And so what God's gonna do is exactly the same thing that he did with the Gentiles. Before, before the Gentiles started coming in, as a people, most of us were going to the pit. And what God did is, in his grace was he reached out to Gentiles and started bringing them in at the very same time that the Jews rebelled against him. And he started bringing them in and now we're saved. So the church is mainly Gentile now. And what God's gonna do is he's gonna reverse that and he's gonna start bringing the Jewish nation in. And thousands and millions of Jews are going to be saved. And again, that's going to be taking place through the tribulation period. So in the New Testament, Paul lines out what God's gonna be doing with the nation of Israel. And the fact that people come to this passage and try to turn it around and make it mean something, I, I, I frankly don't get it when guys read this passage and they don't get it. And they think that the church has replaced Israel. Over and over, he says, no, they haven't. Over and over. And so, Again, you have that. So Israel is gonna be restored and the Abrahamic covenant is gonna be fulfilled. And this is the last thing I'm gonna share with you about this. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. And again, I'm, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but in chapter 36, you have what's called the new covenant. And the new covenant is given to Israel in the Old Testament. We become part of the new covenant, again, because of, because of our relationship to the Abrahamic covenant through the blessings, the blessing portion of that covenant, okay? So we have a new covenant with Jesus and that, that was set up in communion. I forgot we're doing communion. We're gonna do that 
But in chapter, in chapter 36, what God says to them in verse 24, I'm gonna take you from, the, from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, bring you into your own land. So that's what's gonna happen first. Then he says, then I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Israel is not doing that yet. They're in the land, but they're not doing that part yet. And so the, this is yet to be fulfilled. When you get to chapter 37, there's some more cool stuff in the rest of that. But when you get to chapter 37, Ezekiel has this vision of, of a valley full of dry bones. You guys familiar with this? So he sees this valley full of dry bones and God says to him, son of man, verse three, can these bones live? So I answered, and he answers wise, wisely, O Lord God, you know. And he says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I'll put sinews on you and bring flesh on you, cover you with skin, put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And you look down verse eight, indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. The bones came together in verse seven. The skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, all my, oh my people, I will open your graves, cause you to come up from your graves. And he's speaking figuratively here. It's like the nation of Israel is saying we're, de we're dead and in graves. Well, if they're saying that, they're not dead and in graves right? So he's speaking figuratively. You say you're in graves. I'm, I'm saying, God's saying, I'm saying to you, I'm going to pull you out of where you're at, and I'm going to bring you again back to the land of Israel. Then he says, verse 14, I will put my spirit in you. And you know that breath and spirit are the same word in, in Hebrew. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it. And that's where they're at now. They're in the land but the spirit hasn't been put into them. When you get to the next part of that prophecy, God tells Ezekiel to take two sticks and write on one of them the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and on the other one, the stick of Judah, and make them one stick and they will be one in your hand. And so Ephraim and Judah, Ephraim was the northern kingdom or the kingdom of Israel. When they, when they separated, there was a north-south split. Judah was a southern kingdom. And what God is saying here is that when they come back together as a nation, they're not gonna be two nations anymore. They're gonna be one nation. And that, that's how they're going to come back together. And that's in chapter 37. That's where we're sitting right now. They've come back together. They are one nation in the land of Israel. In another place in Isaiah, it says they're going to be gathered the second time. And so they were gathered the first time after Babylon this is the second time. And it says from that time on, they're never going to be cast out of the land. And so they're gathered the second time. Then when you get to chapter 38 and 39, that's the Gog-Magog war. And that's where God shows them that he's real. 
He saves these people from all these nations that are gonna wipe them off the face of the planet. Not only does he destroy their armies, he destroys their homelands at the same time. It's why you don't read about Muslims in Revelation, no joke, because this happens before all of that takes place. In any case, that's chapter 39. And just kind of as an overview, turn to chapter 47. You have the boundaries of the land, and it's verses 13 through 23. It's kind of boring reading, but it gives you the boundaries of the land. And then in chapter 48, it gives you the divisions of the land. And so this is after the second coming. Jesus comes back, he sets up the kingdom. They literally get all the land that was promised to Abraham. And these boundaries describe that. When they get into the land, that land is, is given 12 divisions for each one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's one section that's in the middle that has the city of Jerusalem in it. And it's called the priestly section and also the, the section for the king. And you have that whole thing. But in any case, it's all divvied up. And it's not like it was in the Old Testament. You have like, if you take the, I should have brought a map in, but if you take the map of Israel, actually this, it's a bigger map because it includes everything and you just slice it from the bottom up all the way through. That's how the land is divided into these different sections. And right in the middle is the section that is for the prince and for the nation or, or for the, the city of Jerusalem. And you guys, it's different than what they have now. Because right now, when they rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, it's gonna be in the center of Jerusalem. When you go through and you read this passage, the temple is outside the city of Jerusalem. It's not inside. So it's not, it hasn't been fulfilled. And so this is going to take place after Jesus comes back. And that's when they get their full promise. That's when they get the full allotment of land. That's when they get the full blessing that God has promised to these guys. That's when Jesus sits on the throne of David the throne of David is a throne that was in Jerusalem. It's not in heaven. He's never sat on the throne of David and he becomes the king of the people of Israel during the whole millennium. Actually, he's the king of the whole world, but it's, he's, he's ruling from Jerusalem. So in Matthew chapter 25, it says when Jesus comes back, when he comes back, he's going to sit on the throne of his glory and he's going to gather all the Gentiles, that's the word for nations there, before him, and he's going to divide them as a sheep, shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. That's about a judgment that takes place after the second coming of Christ, and it takes place in the city of Jerusalem. And so, again, you, you, if you read the Bible the way that it is taught, the way that it's written, you have literal fulfillments of the Abrahamic covenant given to the people of Israel, and again, it's because they can't violate it. The only one who can violate the Abrahamic covenant is God himself. And so that's the covenant of grace. When you read about Abraham being the father of faith, in, it's in Genesis chapter 15 that it says, Abraham believed God. When God said, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars of heaven. It says, Abraham believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness. And then he does this whole covenant of grace performance based on God, not based on them. And that's where we enter in. That's why we have a covenant of grace with Jesus. And so the whole thing ties together. And as soon as you start messing with that, it just becomes this bunch of gobbledygook and nobody knows what's going on. 
But if you pay attention to what God has said in these, in these issues, and Israel is central to this, when you pay attention to these things, you see how important Israel is, you see God's plan for Israel and the fact that he's going to be using them in the last days. And so next week, we will actually do last day stuff. I just wanted to give you this, this foundation right here so that you get it. Okay, so do you get it? Okay, you're, you're not in the Mosaic Covenant. Mosaic Covenant doesn't have anything to do with you. Um, here's another thing about the Mosaic Covenant. It had an entrance sign and it had a memorial sign. And so the entrance sign, if you wanted to get into the Mosaic Covenant, you guys know what the entrance sign was? Circumcision. You had to be circumcised to get into the Mosaic Covenant. Obviously women can't. It was always, it was the men. And so circumcision is the entrance sign. There was a memorial sign also, okay? And the memorial sign was the Sabbath day. That's why the Sabbath is so important in the Mosaic law. So every week you're doing this whole thing where you have to rest. And it's the idea of you're gonna to have to rest in the work of the Lord. You're gonna to have to rest in the things that God has done for you. Ultimately, you're going to have to rest in the Messiah. And when you get to the New Testament, Jesus is called our rest. Literally, our Sabbath is what the Bible calls him, okay? And so you have, a, again, an entrance sign and a memorial sign. We have exactly the same thing in our relationship in the new covenant with Jesus. So we have an entrance sign. So what is the, the thing that you are supposed to do in front of the whole world before you're proclaimed to be a Christian? Yeah, it's baptism, okay? And it's not that you're not a Christian before you're baptized, it's just the sign that, that this is what's taken place. So we all get baptized, right? Okay, so that's the entrance sign. And we also have a memorial sign too. And a memorial is where you remember. And so what's the memorial sign? It's this right here. And so every time that we partake of communion, we're remembering what Christ did for us. We're remembering the sacrifice that he made for us. We're remembering why we're here. And that's, that's what's going on in this situation. So we're in a new covenant. We're not in the old covenant. We're not in the Mosaic covenant. If we were in the Mosaic covenant, we'd all have to get circumcised if you're a guy and you'd have to keep the Sabbath day but we're in the new covenant with Jesus. And so we get baptized, proclaiming the fact that we are going to follow Christ. And then we proclaim that we're remembering Jesus every time we partake of communion. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And so we got a covenant too. Let's do this. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the attentiveness of my people. <laughs> I know that this was a bunch of verses and a, a bunch of concepts that might've been foreign. And Lord, I just, I just thank you that they're so sharp. Father, as we're going through communion, what we wanna do is remember your son. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming for us. We thank you for living the life that you lived, doing the miracles that you did to point out the fact of who you were, and then finally going to a cross that you didn't deserve, but we did, and dying there so that we could have eternal life through you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we take part in this memorial, Lord, we want you to be the center of it. We want our hearts to be right before you. We want to be actually worshiping you as we do these things. And, and Lord Jesus, we want to remember you. Thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you for all the promises that you've made. Thank you that our, that our salvation is based on your performance, Lord, not ours. And uh, you're good, Lord, that way. We just commit this time into your hand now, in Jesus' name.
You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.